Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Glad that you are here. My name is Alan, and uh, I'm excited about getting started with something here this morning. You see, there are some uh, days, in fact, most days are normal days. They just kind of come and go, but there are special days that stand out. Your birthday, uh, people you care about, birthday, Christmas holidays, special good news happens, etc. There are drives that we experience that most of which are just, are just normal. They just come and go. You get in that car and you drive somewhere, you get there, and you didn't even think about the fact that you made that drive. Most drives, they just kind of come and go. But some drives are special. And if that right song comes on the radio and it's the right weather and you can roll the window down and you can just, you know what to do till you bust a move. Whatever the, whatever the song is that makes that a special moment for you. Now, most Sundays, perhaps, are just normal Sundays. I get up and blah, 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 and then you're going to go on for lunch and we'll see what happens. But this is not a normal Sunday. This is a special Sunday. I'm excited about this morning because we've been preparing something uh, for quite some time, and we are getting started this morning on a three-year experience where we will be looking into what it means to realize your role in God's story. This means we're not just learning what the story is, but we're continuing to dive into what does it mean for me and you to fully realize what our roles are in that story. And so today, we are starting Part Orange Wisdom. I can feel the excitement in the room. I figure if television can use uh, additional crowd noise to help them out, then so can we. Man, you guys are really responsive today. This is good. This is exciting. So we, we are starting an 18-week journey. Over the three years, there's going to be six of these different colors, six of these journals slash books. And this first one we're getting started with is focused on wisdom. It's something we all are interested in. We're all seeking to, to make good decisions, to, to experience wisdom in life. And as we get started on these 18 weeks... I want to start with the most fundamental of all roles that we would play. Jesus, at one point early in the gospel stories, he goes up to Peter and Andrew, and then he goes up to James and John, those four fishermen, and later on he goes up to Matthew, who's a tax collector, and he says to all of these five young men, he says, follow me. Not, not believe in me, not, hey, listen to me, listen to my wisdom and learn from my teachings. He says, follow me. Come, be with me, do life with me, see what I see, hear what I hear. This is so profound. You got to understand this, that for these young men, they did not invite Jesus to come into their lives they dropped their nets and followed Jesus. So this morning, we're going to open this whole journey by looking at this role of follower. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I'm thankful once again for your story and that you invite us to be part of it, that you reach out to us and you say, follow me. Come, follow me. And we get to decide whether or not we want to respond to that. 
Father, I pray that you would here today and in these upcoming weeks, just, just take us into your presence, God. Just, just take us into an intimacy with you that we haven't experienced before. Help us to understand what it means to follow you. Not just believe in you, but follow you. Would you shed light on that here in this place, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. But a year ago, my son, Martin, he was reading through the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament. I know, Leviticus, right? (laughs) The Bible starts with Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and some of those early books are, are, are more difficult to read. So he was reading through the book of Leviticus, and he, uh, at the end of reading it, he asked me a question, a very good question, a question that many followers of Jesus ask and have asked over the past 2,000 years. In fact, this is a question that many who struggle with Christianity, this is one of the reasons why they struggle with Christianity, is, is the fact that they have this question or they're wrestling with this question. Again, my son was reading through the book of Leviticus, and it contains a number of laws, rules, guidelines that are found in the Old Testament. The first five books are known as the Torah, and they contain the laws of God. In fact, there are 613 of them, 613 of these laws. And if you've uh, read these books, some of the laws are a little peculiar. And so in the book of Leviticus, for example... We have, uh, uh, let me just look at a few different examples. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 6 says, Do not let your hair become unkempt. That's right, that's right. Some of you are rethinking your morning already. (laughs) And do not tear your clothes or you will die. And the Lord will be angry with the whole community. I think this is evidence enough that we should not be buying pre-torn, expensive jeans anymore. The Lord has spoken. I was smart because I wore my jeans with no tears in them today. But... but, uh, But just, just great stuff. So then we jump to chapter 11, verse 20. All flying insects that walk on all fours are to be regarded as unclean by you. No problem there. Easy, easy. But the next verse says, there are, however, some flying insects that walk on all fours that you may eat. Those that have jointed legs for hopping on the ground, of these you may eat any kind of locust, catadid, cricket, or grasshopper. Yeah, I heard some amens on that one. All right. Thank you very much. Okay, Leviticus, let's continue. Chapter 19, uh, uh, chapter 19, verse 19 says, do not mate different kinds of animals. Do not plant your field with two kinds of seed. Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. How many of you right now sitting in the Lord's house (laughs) are wearing clothing woven with multiple kinds of material. I think this is evidence of uh, why polyester is no longer invited into the church. Polyester is not endorsed. And, and spandex is right out. I mean, if it, it's just, this would be your final warning here at Mountain Park. Spandex is not allowed into the house of worship. We're, we're, I don't even know if spandex is material. It's just some kind of plastic man-made gunk that, okay. Anyway, 
Verse 27 there in chapter 19, do not cut the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. Wouldn't we look like a different crew if we still held to this here? So my son was reading through these verses in these chapters, and he said, Dad, how do we know which of these laws are important for those of us who want to follow Christ and which are completely relevant. I mean, th- this is the word of God. I'm, I, I, what I just read, each of those words came from Scripture. This isn't some document from the 1700s that we read with humor and then we set aside and say, wow, the world is a different place now. That's no longer relevant. What I just read from is Scripture. Who gets to decide which laws are relevant for those who are followers of Christ and which laws, rules in Scripture are no longer relevant? This is an important question. Many struggle with this because there's an appearance that, that Christians nowadays can just walk through Scripture and pick and choose verses that they, that they want to follow and set aside verses that they don't. That there are some verses where they say, oh, I like that law. I like that rule, so I will not only abide by that rule, but I'll judge others by that rule. And then there are other laws that we say, I don't like that so much, and so we we make some kind of change to that. Who gets to decide which laws are relevant and which are not? And so in response to my son with this very good question, I said what any loving Christian father would say. I said, you need to talk to the student ministry pastor about that. How would you respond to that question? If your child or someone you cared about, someone you loved, asked you about that question, how would you respond? How do you respond if that's a question you have, if that's something you struggle with? What's your response to that very important, relevant question? Now, before I I get into a response to that, let me first remind you why these laws exist in the first place. That these 613 laws, they're not arbitrary. They're not tests from God. They're not just him kind of playing with his creation. These laws are not, they are not just kind of, God's way of trying to kind of figure things out. They're not him kind of playing. These laws come from a God who, who set up the nation of Israel. He set up a a group of people, his group of people, and he wanted them to to succeed. He wanted them to thrive. And so he set up boundaries for them. He set up laws in terms of how they're going to get started with this new nation. He did that because he loves them. That's what loving parents do. Loving parents provide boundaries, rules, laws with their kids. That's what loving parents do. Kids don't like it. We don't like laws. None of us like boundaries, rules, uh, uh, parameters for us as we're growing up as kids. We don't like it. Most of us don't respond well to the laws of God, especially in areas where we push back. But we need to remember where they come from. They come from a loving father who wants the best for his children. They come from a loving father who wants the best for the children of God, for the people of Israel. He wants us to thrive. Later on in the book of Leviticus, he offers clarity to this. God says, verse chapter 26, 
Verse 3 says, if you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season and the ground will yield its crops and the streets their fruit. Verse 6, I will grant peace in the land and you will lie down and no one will make you afraid. God walks out these laws, the ones that we love, the ones that we don't love, the ones that we don't understand. He walks them all out. He says, I want you to prosper. I want you to enjoy life. I want you to thrive. I want you to live in peace. And so the wise, the ones who want to live with wisdom, respond to that and say, okay, Father, I trust you. I I know that you know me, you know my situation, you know my struggles, my temptations, you know my, what's going on around me. You know that. I know that you love me. And even with the laws that I'm not all that comfortable with, I trust you. That's the place of wisdom for a follower of Jesus. But the question remains, who gets to decide Which of these laws continue to be an essential part of following Jesus and which of these laws are no longer relevant? I think Jesus himself answers this question with clarity. I think he knew that people of their time and people of our time would be asking these questions because he changed a lot of things. He changed the way we respond, etc. So he, he says in, famously in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 is this incredible collection of teachings from Jesus. And early on in that journey, in chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. This, this is so my, my response to my son, I think, flowed out of this Matthew 5, 17. It's just, just this idea that when we choose to follow Jesus, so what that means is when, when we come to the point of saying, I believe that the story of humanity is the story that is found in Scripture. It's the story of a loving God who created everything and eventually through Jesus has provided a way for us to have a reconciled relationship with that God and that the way we experience that is that we see Jesus as Lord and surrender our lives to him. If we choose to follow Jesus, then we have a new filter for the rest of our lives. We have a new filter for every law in the Old Testament. We have a new filter for every verse, every story, every part of the Old Testament that we struggle with. We have a a filter. Everything that we experience, every word of wisdom, every book that we read, every other religion that we encounter, every conversation we have, everything that bounces around in our minds, it goes through this filter of Jesus. Everything goes through this filter. Because Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He didn't come to wipe it out and say, never mind, set that aside. He came to fulfill it, which means that the law and any other things that we consider, okay, is this truth? Is this not truth? It now goes through 
Jesus. It goes through Jesus, the new filter for every question, every decision, every part of our lives. Whenever we experience significant change in life, we have an alteration of our filters. That's, we're used to that. When, when, when you get married, there are things that we change because of that new relationship, because of that change in our life. So we have a new filter for what, I can, what I'm going to say and what I'm going to do. If you're wise in a marriage relationship, you allow there to be changes. Okay, let me give you an example. This may come as a surprise to you, but I have been known periodically in some places with some people to be a little bit sarcastic. I know, I know, I know. That's, wow, shocker. That doesn't even make any sense. But I've been known to be a little bit sarcastic. My wife is not a fan of sarcasm. Oscar Wilde at one point says that sarcasm is the lowest form of wit. My wife is very familiar with that, uh, with that phrase. He then, he then uh, proceeds, though, Oscar then says, but it's the highest form of intelligence, which is sarcastic in, even in of, of itself. I mean, that whole phrase. But, but my wife leans on the front end of that. She does not like sarcasm. That for, in her mind, sarcasm is divisive. It is hurting. It, it, she doesn't find humor in it. It is, it is a low form of wit. She is not a fan of it whatsoever. So in my marriage... If I want to keep a happy marriage, which I do, sarcasm has no place in, the mar- in our marriage relationship. It just doesn't work. I've tried many times. <laughs> it just doesn't fit. It doesn't work. I have a filter in my marriage. No sarcasm. Lots of sarcasm with my friends, with other relationships, etc. But in marriage, no. I, I, it's just a new filter because of that relationship. Let me give you another example is, is with kids. When we have kids... We, we get some filter adjustments in our lives. There are certain things that we may do or not do because of those relationships, because of our relationships with our kids. A number of years ago, I was foolish enough to think that a triathlon was fun. And so I did an Olympic triathlon, and I was doing some of these, and I thought, you know, maybe I could do a half Ironman. And then I was, and maybe one day I could do an Ironman. And I was talking about this with, with, uh, with my wife. And we talked about it again. This was a number of years ago. And uh, we decided that it was not the time for me to do that. Our kids were still young. Uh, they needed uh, my time. Training for an Ironman is a full-time job near the end. I mean, it is a very, very, very big deal. And so I wasn't, wasn't going to do that. It wasn't going to fit. That's the only reason I haven't done an Ironman. <laughs> okay. No. <laughs> But, uh, but, I, uh, but, uh, but I just, we decided that it wasn't going to work. It wasn't going to fit. A number of years ago, when I made that decision, I can't remember what the context was, but in church at the old building, I shared that story. Some of you might remember that. I told some of you, or I shared that, that we, I had made that decision as a dad, as a husband. And there was a young athlete who came up to me after one of the services and reprimanded me. He, he, he's, an, he's a serious Ironman athlete, and he came up to me and he says, you're wrong. He says, if you want to do this, you can fit it in. You can always fit training in. If you're committed enough, you can make it happen. You can fit it in. You can do it. You can, I don't know why I'm pointing to all of you like this, but, <laughs> but the, he, was, he was very strong with this on me, and it kind of made me, you know, I was thinking about it a little bit. Two years later, this guy got divorced from his wife. I mean, it's just... We have to be open to adjustments of filters in our lives when significant change happens. When we choose to follow Jesus, there is a major filter change in our lives. When we choose to follow Jesus, 
then everything goes through this new filter. Everything, every thought that we've had, everything that we purchase, every decision we make, it goes through this new filter of Jesus. Now, some of you, you might be wondering at this point what this little fashion statement is that I have around my neck. Maybe you haven't listened to a word I've said so far because you're wondering, what is that, what is that, what is that? This is called, some of you in the front can read this, it's called a life straw, a life straw. Straw. I discovered this on Amazon this week. And a life straw, something you pop the end off, you pop the top off. You can drop a life straw into any freshwater source, any lake, any pond, any river, any creek, any sludge, bacteria-infested freshwater area. Pop it in, and then this filter will allow you to drink from that water pretty awesome, huh? That contaminated water goes in and clean water comes out. The life straw. You can go check it out on Amazon. I get no proceeds. Um, but if you do check it out, you know how Amazon, you can check out products and they have information there and they have, they have questions that people ask and answer to help you understand the product a little bit more. The very first question on this product on Amazon asks, if you pee in a bowl then use the life straw to drink it. Will it taste like water or pee? Now, I'm confident there's two kinds of people in the room here right now. Those of you who, with that question, all you can think of is, that's ridiculous. That's a ridiculous question. Why would anyone think that or ask that? And then there's the second category, which I believe is most of you, who had the thought before I mentioned the question. Those of you who thought, huh, I wonder how that might work. Well, there's enough people in that second category uh, because the first response to that question, that first question on Amazon, the first response says, don't ask why, but I tried it. <laughs> it says, it says uh, uh, rest assured, if you drink the water through the filter, if you drink the pee through the filter, it still tastes like pee. So does all fresh water after that for quite some time. <laughs> so see, folks, that's called wisdom right there. That is wisdom. You can't know till you try, right? And so, so and even greater wisdom is that now we don't have to try because somebody else did it. So we're moving on. If you choose to follow Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, if that's a role that you embrace, that you say, that's a role that I have in, in, in my life story, I am a follower of Jesus, then he becomes your life straw. That anything that you experience, any questions you have, it goes through the filter of Jesus. Let me look at the laws from the Old Testament. That's where the original question stirred up in terms of how do we know which laws in the Old Testament are relevant anymore? So let me look at, at those laws in the Old Testament. Again, there's 613 of them found in the Torah. And of those 613, scholars break them down into three categories generally. There are civil laws, there are ceremonial laws, and there are moral laws. Civil laws have to do with the fact that Israel was both a nation and a faith community. And so Israel was, was, a, was a group of people that need a, needed a governing system 
There was no separation of church and state for the nation of Israel. And so God provided, as a good father, provided for for them guidelines in terms of civil law and how they are to govern themselves and how they are to function both as a nation and as a faith community. In terms of ceremonial law, the book of Leviticus is primarily focused on this. Leviticus comes from the word Levite, and it was the Levites who were the the spiritual leaders of the nation of Israel. And so the book of Leviticus primarily is directing the Levites in terms of how worship and sacrifice are supposed to be practiced. It was about when they could do it, how they would do it, what they would wear, what they could eat, not eat, etc., on what days, etc. So it primarily had to do with the ceremonial law that was wrapped mostly around the sacrifices and how that would happen. And then thirdly, we have moral laws, which are how we treat one another, how we love one another, how we respond to one another, etc. So again, when we become a follower of Jesus, he becomes our life straw. So when all of these things now go through the life straw of Jesus, they get altered. Let me look at each of these three. The civil law, the civil law is is no longer uh, relevant because Jesus came down and started a new kingdom. He said, when you become a follower, when you come follow me, you are part of the kingdom of God. And so essentially the way Jesus interacted 2,000 years ago at that time, at that part of the world, he separated church and state. At one point he says, he's talking about taxes, and he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And so Jesus was saying, in terms of civil law, there's a change here. We are, part, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. So those civil laws from the Old Testament, they go through the filter of Jesus, and they become different. They become less relevant. In terms of ceremonial laws, once again, there's a dramatic change there. Because the ceremony was, was really centered around the sacrifices that needed to be made. Jesus came as the ultimate sacrifice So much so that any sacrifices made after that are an insult to Jesus, Scripture says, because the sacrifice has been made. The ultimate sacrifice has been done, has been taken care of. So ceremonial laws are changed because of the story of Jesus. Jesus was a threat and eventually killed because the the, the Jewish people very much struggled with the fact that Jesus was breaking these laws. He was breaking Sabbath laws. He was healing on the Sabbath. He was was eating on the Sabbath in ways that were uh, not embraced by the Jewish culture uh, at that time. And so they, they very much struggled with this. But Jesus says, the Sabbath is not made for man, but man is made for, uh, 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 Sorry, the other way around. Man is not made for the Sabbath. Sabbath is made for man. In other words, the Sabbath, the purpose of the Sabbath is to help people. It's not that we serve the Sabbath. At one point when he does break some of the rules of the Sabbath, he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So these ceremonial laws we find in the Old Testament, they go through the filter of Jesus and they change. With regard to the moral laws, if you, you can just look at the verses prior to Matthew 5.17 that I, I was just reading about Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Prior to that, in the Sermon on the Mount, multiple times, Jesus says, you've heard it said, 
These are all moral laws that he's referring to. You've heard it said blank from the laws of the Old Testament. But I say, and he ramps it up. He, he increases it. You, you've heard it said that uh, you cannot uh, uh, commit adultery. But I say, when you look lustfully at, at another woman, then you are committing adultery. He increases it. He bumps it up. So some of the laws from the Old Testament, when they go through the filter of Jesus, they become irrelevant. Not because we say they're irrelevant, not because we choose not to like one of these uh, laws, but because Jesus' life and words and story say, this is changed now. There's a filter here. And other laws from the Old Testament, they go through the filter and they get expanded upon. When we choose to be a follower of Jesus, all of those questions, laws, etc., they go through a new filter. Jesus becomes the life filter, not just for the Old Testament laws, but for any decision we make, any pursuit of wisdom that we're experienced, it go, that we experience, it goes through the, the life filter, the life straw of, of Jesus. So we bring our questions. Is it wise for me to date someone who is not a follower, not also a follower of Jesus? Because this person is so amazing. And I, and I just hope and expect that one day they will become a follower of Jesus? Is it wise for me to pursue that relationship and lean into that? Is it wise in my relationship to, to uh, live together with this person before we get married? Because I want to make sure we're fully compatible. Is, is, it, is it wise? Is it wise, Jesus, for me to watch that show, for me to um, buy, purchase that item, for me to take that job? Just whatever questions we have, we take it through the filter of Jesus. And we say, is, is, it, is it wise for me to do that? And the reality is, sometimes we know exactly what the filter of Jesus is going to do with a question that we have. Something that we want to do, we want to be part of, we're deciding whether to do this or that. We, it, we don't even need to put it through the filter of Jesus. We know what that filter would lead to, and we don't like it. So we keep on drinking contaminated water. And then we wonder why we feel sick. Why we feel guilty, remorse, angry, frustrated. While we, while we continue to just drink bacteria-infested water that doesn't go through the purifying process of going through the life straw. So once again, as I asked this at the very beginning with the, whole, with the laws question, do we trust God enough with these laws? Do we trust God enough with our circumstances, our situations to say, I'm going to let it pass through Jesus, the life filter, so that I can drink living water, so that I can drink purified water, water. As we close here um, this morning, 
I want to ask if, if you would just, I want to just ask, invite you to think about something. And the best way to just kind of be focused and think is just if you would close your eyes. If you would, just where you are, just close your eyes. I want to pray in just a few minutes. But right now, I just, I just ask that you would close your eyes and just allow yourself to think through your, the weight that you're carrying right now. Here it is, the fall. And... Kids are going back to school. Perhaps you are going back to school. There's just, you're setting up for work and it's just, it's the fall season and everything's ramping up. What, what weight are you carrying right now? What burden? What physical concerns did you bring into this room here this morning? Maybe it's a, a chronic pain. Maybe it's, a, it's, a, it's an unknown pain. You, you you just, you don't know where it is and it's frustrating and you just don't know what to do about it. Maybe it's some recent bad news about something physical that's going on. Maybe you're just tired. What relational concern are you sitting with here today? Maybe there was a recent fight that is not yet resolved. Maybe there was a breakup. Maybe there's a chasm between you and someone you love and you don't know how to bridge that chasm. What spiritual concern might you have here in this room today? Maybe you, you want to please God, but there's this dark part of your life, this, uh, this addiction, this habit that continues to just torment you and you don't know how to get freedom from it. Maybe there's doubt. Maybe there's apathy that has drifted into your relationship. In what way are you drinking dirty, muddy water this morning? If you are a follower of Jesus, then whatever has come to your mind so far, what would it look like for that to go through the filter of Jesus? Father in heaven, I thank you that in your word you talk multiple times about the purification process, that you love us so much that you just want us to come to you honestly to confess and you will purify us from unrighteousness. You will take the contaminated water and you will clean it. So God, in whatever way we are held back this morning, in whatever way we are doubting, struggling, God, would you help us to, to allow that to go through the life straw of Jesus? God, give us the wisdom to trust you with that and then to act accordingly when we hear from you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.